Well, good morning and welcome to church this morning. Uh, it's a pretty bear in here at the moment. It's just uh, Tim and myself. Uh, welcome to lockdown number five. Um, but it's a little bit hard on those people out there. There's a lot of people that may be struggling this morning and uh, it's hasn't been easy um, and it's not going to be easy again. We think of those of our brothers and sisters up in Sydney who are enduring their lockdown for the next uh, two weeks or a week to say. But um, we do have a hope and we have that hope in Jesus Christ. This morning I was listening to the Christian radio and we had um, Dale Stevenson from uh, Crossway Baps was on there and uh, he was talking about when they did communion once and he was asked a question this morning to those people that might be struggling this morning, for those people out there who really um, are not doing too well during this lockdown time, is there a word you can have for them? And he brought up from Mark chapter 1 or from when Jesus was being baptised. And in verse 11 it said, And the voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. So for any of us who know the Lord, any of us who are Christians, we are known, we are his sons and daughters, we are known by him and we are loved by him and he loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us and we are valued, we are valued in him. He created us and we are valued by him, so valued as he did send his only son. So this morning if you are having issues and you're struggling through this time and uh, if anyone out there that may not know Jesus, if you turn in your life over to him, that you will be his son or daughter. You are loved and will be loved by him and he'll be well pleased with you. So on that note, before we go any further this morning, we'll just spend a bit of time in prayer. We have a couple of our members who are in hospital at the moment and um, recovering and in different, in different uh, circumstances. Uh, we have other things that are going on as well in our church. We're looking for a new pastor and there's lots happening as well too. But uh, this morning we'll just come before God in prayer and we'll commit all this time to you because we've got a, a, a day of, um, of worshipping him and a time of worshipping him and uh, we'll have a message a little bit later through this. But before then we'll just go and we'll pray. And uh, we'll just come before him in prayer. Thank you, loving God, for another day. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that um, we are known in you, that you love us and we are valued by you. And, Father, we don't take that for granted. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. And as we come around the communion table a bit later, Father, we'll recognise that that is what is done and we'll celebrate but also remember what Jesus did for us. Father, just be with us during this time of lockdown. There'll be people here who may be struggling because of another lockdown. We just commit each one to you, Father, that they may trust in you, may come before your throne and say that you are our God and you are in control. We know that you're in control. Father, the fear that's put out by the media and even the way the politicians are speaking, Father, that uh, they uh, want to get the message across but it's bringing fear to our people. And Father, we pray against fear because we don't live in the spirit of fear as Christians. And, Father, we um, bring that before you and for those in our, our um, community too that we may be able to show Christ to them and that they may come to know you. 
We just pray for those couple of our members in hospital now that you handled will be upon them as they recover and uh, as they're facing different things this morning, you know who they are and we just ask you to just be with them too. And uh, we just ask you to just be their pastor and their, their youth uh, leader too as they enjoy their holidays away and that they may come back refreshed. And Father, we do pray for our nation this morning. We pray for our Premier, for Daniel Andrews and for all his team behind him, especially those <clears throat> in the medical team that are advising him on how to go about life during the lockdown. We pray for our Prime Minister, Father. We just commit him afresh to you and pray that he may, uh, as he um, looks to you for strength and for guidance, that he may uh, pass that on to others. And we do pray that uh, we know that you put governments in place and we pray, Father, that they may honour you and that we may honour you as a people. Just bless us, we pray this morning. We thank you for this time of being able to look into your word and just pray, Father, as we do look into your word, that you'll anoint the words that are spoken this morning, that they'll be yours and not mine. We just ask your blessing upon this time and thank you in Jesus' precious and loving name. We thank you once again. Amen. So this morning we're going to talk about mentoring. <clears throat> it's uh, something that's come up a little bit while, uh, a little while ago and it's something that um, is extremely important and uh, it's something that we can do as a church and uh, as we meet with each other and as we try to grow the church and we grow the members of the church, the mentoring is a very important thing. So there's a few slides up here from a study which was done in 2014. Uh, it's a little while ago and it was done in America, so we have a few things there which are possibly a little bit American, but um, <clears throat> the relevance of it is still important to us today. So we are living in an interesting time in history. For what is like the first time in the history of the Christian church, generations aren't worshipping together. It now appears normal to see older generations meeting together, wearing suits and singing hymns, uh, or boomers wearing Hawaiian shirts and singing peppy songs, and how Jesus has changed their lives and emerging generations, meeting in dark rooms, singing in minor keys. But from a historical perspective, this is not normal. Beyond that, it is ultimately harmful to the church. Interestingly enough, it's not what the young, young adults want either. Far from leave us alone mentality, today's young adults are very interested in learning from, interacting with and forming bonds with previous generations. This desire for connection with people outside of the age demographic can be seen as a subset of the overall for relationships and community. And because of the specific and un unique nature of these particular relationships, the characteristics of connection stands on its own. According to our research, 45% of unchurched ad young adults identified the opportunity to receive advice from people with similar life experiences as very important. 68% of church young adults identified the opportunity to receive advice from people with similar life experience as very important. After seeing the statistics above and hearing the overwhelming voice of young adults regarding this matter, a couple of conclusions can be drawn. One very broad and one very specific. The broad is both church and unchurched young adults desire a maximum number of small group activities to promote relationships and belonging. 
and both church and unchurched adults desire a maximum number of opportunities to connect with a mentor. So young adults place a heavy price or heavy, uh, place heavy value on connecting with people who do not have, who, sorry, with people who have more life experience than they do. Some would call this mentoring or cross-generational ministry. The bottom line is that they want to learn from someone else's experiences. <clears throat> now, a little while ago, Paul, Pastor Paul, was down at, um, at the um, Nourish thing that they have the BEV put on once a, uh, well, a couple of times a year down in May. Now, the speakers, the two of them, were two youth pastors, and their message was, we want the older people in the church to interact with us and pass on their knowledge and mentor us. I'll repeat that. We want the older people in the church to interact with us and pass on their knowledge and mentor us. So that's where we're coming from this morning. We're going to have a look at mentoring and find out some of the things that as a church we're looking at. And um, we're going to give a biblical example of mentoring this morning too. Uh, there's a few of them, but we're going to pick on, on one couple of a mentoring um, uh, thing that went on for quite a few years. And then we'll look how it might to apply to uh, KBC today. So we'll start off with what is mentoring. So the dictionary, oops, the dictionary explanation is to advise or train, especially a younger colleague. So in church circles, we often refer, refer to this as discipleship, and to a certain extent, this is true. But the definition of a disciple is anyone who has come to a personal relationship with Jesus. So hopefully today, those watching, you are a disciple of Jesus. And if you're not a disciple of Jesus and you haven't come to know him, there, is, there are people that can draw you to him and show you him and, and that um, may be able to tell you about him and uh, live their life experience to you as well too. And if there's anyone out there, we do pray that you will, from this morning, from other people, that you may come to that relationship with Jesus because that's what it's all about coming to a personal relationship with him. So hopefully we are all disciples of Jesus this morning. To disciple someone is to tell them of Jesus with a response in mind that they would accept Jesus. In the Great Commission in um, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I have commanded you. As we see here that Jesus is not just talking to a select group of people. We think of, the, of disciples as Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, John, of all of, the ones that uh, his, uh, his close uh, contacts, but there was also other disciples. But he was actually talking to uh, the world here and it says, go you into all the world and preach the gospel so that they will become disciples, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So this uh, group of peoples and nations around the world, after they're being taught the ways of Jesus, this is a way of discipling them. Mentoring, in the other hand, not only covers spiritual, but it also um, covers the practical side of teaching and getting beside and building relationship with people. 
And uh, discipleship is maturing, is helping people to mature and become more um, settled in their faith so that they can then learn to be more like God, learn to be more like Jesus and be more stable and then to carry on and they can disciple others as well too. So this morning we've got a couple of, uh, of an example, I've got four Bible readings, not too long, so um, we'll go through each and then explain how it looks. Our Bible example this morning comes from uh, the Old Testament, it comes from Moses and from Joshua, and uh, the time that Moses and Joshua spent together. An example, uh, firstly it was God who chose Joshua to be his successor. It wasn't someone idea and Moses' idea of just picking someone out of the out of the random and say, "Well, I'll have Joshua." But it was God's plan and God's purpose that Joshua should be his mentor. He should be the one to take them to the promised land later. And God had this plan in mind. So our first reading this morning is from Exodus chapter twenty-two, verses twelve to fourteen. So it says here. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the laws and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us while we come back. Aaron and Hur are with you here, and you are involved in any dispute. You can go to them. So they weren't left on their own down there. And this is, as we know, when um, uh, Moses went up onto the uh, mount to receive the Ten Commandments. And uh, it didn't take long down below that uh, they did get into some strife and uh, made a golden calf and did things like that. But we look at this time when Joshua and Moses went together. Uh, it wasn't just Moses there, but Joshua, sorry, Moses went further up the mountain and Joshua was there with him. So this uh, reading comes after the battle where the Israelites had victory over Amalek, which was one of the, uh, uh, the people that they had to, to move out, and where Moses had his hands kept up in the battle for Israel's victory. So remember that he was there uh, in the battle and he had, had his staff up above his head like that, and every time that he held that, that up, the battle was going, and when the arms fell down, he wasn't able to do it. So they sat him on a rock and there was one either side holding his staff up and they won the battle. Now Joshua was there with him uh, and his job was to lead the battle against the Amalekites. His role was extended to Moses' offsider after he and became his second in charge. So during the aforementioned that was after this battle that he became his, his offsider or second in charge then. So during the aforementioned battle, Joshua was given the task of leading the army, but Moses was there as well. So God was using Moses as a focal point with the hands up and the hands down, and there's one he worked through. But in Joshua's role as a leader of the army, he had a job to do on the ground. It was his faithfulness in taking on that role that elevated him. Moses was there overseeing the battle, and he was encouraging Joshua. He didn't leave him alone. He hadn't been left completely to his own devices. Moses was there as well too. So this was an important development in Joshua and the relationship between him and Moses in this battle. And we see from there on in that, uh, that Joshua was starting to follow Moses and to, uh, to, 
take in what he was doing and find out what God was doing through Moses' life and to show him as well too. Our second reading comes from Exodus chapter 33 and verses 9 to 12. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud will come down and stay at the entrance. While the Lord spoke with Moses, whenever the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. What a relationship that Moses had with God there. He spoke to him face to face as a man speak with a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But the young aide Joshua, stayed the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know that you, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. So here we see Moses in the tent of meeting. I think that he went there every day and he talked with God and then he was given the task of sorting out people's problems and things like that. And his father-in-law actually came along at one stage and said, well, look, mate, it's just a, all those people day in, day out, it's becoming a bit too hard for you. So his father-in-law was able to mentor Moses and say, well, why don't you appoint 70 elders and different ones to be able to to do the tasks, the little bits and pieces, and then you take the big stuff. But the story we see in this part today is that Moses uh, was with God and met with him daily, as I said, as a man meets with a friend. And I just that's really mind-blowing that God can have such a relationship and the relationship that Moses had with God, we can have as well too. We see here that Moses was in the tent and he hung around after Moses left. Joseph uh, Joshua was hanging around, watching, and he was learning. Moses imparted his knowledge in the ways of his role as a leader of Egypt. Oh, sorry, not a leader of Egypt, because that's where they come from. Leader of Israel, sorry. And Joshua was able to observe how he went about it. These could have been intimate one-on-one times of spiritual, practical, um, uh, spiritual and practical teaching. So how important must this have been in the development of Joshua? to have time away from everyone to get quality mentoring from Moses. <clears throat> so when we're mentoring people, we need that one-on-one time to be able to show them and tell them about the ways of God and to advise them in things of it and maybe to tell them our testimony and to be able to show them how God has blessed us and how God has used us. But these one-on-one times were very special. And it was a time of building up Joshua in his role, as you would find a little bit later on. Moses had a great responsibility to do to the people, but it may have also been a real um, blessed time for the two of them too, that they shared fellowship one with another. And sharing fellowship one with another is a really important thing that we can do as well too. Next one comes from Numbers chapter 11, verses 24 to 30. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of the elders and then had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down the cloud and spoke with him. And he took the spirit that was on him and put the spirit of the 70 elders on the 70 elders. 
When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. However, two men whose name were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out of the tent, out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran up and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put the Spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders returned to the camp. This is another part in Joshua's development. It said there that he was Moses' aide from his youth. We don't know how old he was at this stage, but uh, they're the two... Men, Eldad and Medad were prophesying around the camp, but the spirit had come down on the 70 elders, but they were still counted among those elders, whether the 68 turned around to the tent and then the other two were there or not, but we, we're not really clear of that. So Joshua um, and said to Moses um, to stop them. Uh, Joshua said to Moses to stop them, even though they were registered, because they were prophesying away from the others. This wasn't the way it was being done and he had a bit of probably tunnel vision that these blokes were supposed to be there with them, but they weren't. Now Joshua was concerned that they were out of line, but Moses was concerned that he was jealous for Moses' sake they were prophesying. Now Joshua learnt an important message on that day about humility. He learnt that a leader needs to be humble in the service of God. And Moses conveyed this to him by saying, that he wished that all people could prophesy. And ultimately it was up for God who does and doesn't. Moses was concerned that um, Joshua was was, um, jealous for his sake, but God is the one who puts the gifts upon people and God is the one who has them prophesying, whatever that might be. And it was was humbling for Moses to, uh, for Joshua to be able to say that um, he, uh, yeah, that uh, what he was saying there to, to Moses. It's all right, Tim's busy mucking around with the uh, curtains at the back and it's distracting me, so that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> so the next reading is Numbers 27, 16 to 23. May the Lord, the God of the spirit of mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them and one who will bring them out, bring them in. So the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom the spirit and lay their hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority, so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eleazar the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and his command they will come in. Moses did just as the Lord commanded. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest, the whole assembly. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord had instructed through Moses. 
So it's come for the time where Moses is about to go to meet his maker. God took Moses up onto the mountain, showed him the promised land and said, well, now's your time to come to be with me. But Moses was concerned that who was going to lead the people. God had that in plan in mind. And as I said before, that God had planned that Joshua was to be his man. So this is Joshua's commissioning. That's something that we do today when we have a a new pastor or someone come along or we have our elders or we have people who are starting a ministry, we commission them. And God chose Moses to be his successor and this was his commissioning. Moses honoured his mentee in front of the people and the priest. So this part of this commissioning was Moses honouring him. He was saying that my time is done and this is your man. And he was being able to say, well, now Joshua is going to be your leader. Moses had prepared Joshua for the role. He'd done his bit. Moses had encouraged him in his role. He'd done his bit there too. Moses had to let go of the role and let Joshua take it on. So very important. Even though Moses was going to go to be with his maker and, and, to, uh, uh, and to die at this stage not far from that, it's a very important thing when we're mentoring someone and we, we're taking someone else towards a leadership role that we actually let go of the role and not be there micromanaging and allow them to do the role. We may still be around in, in positions like that, but it's important that he did that. And Moses was able to let Joshua take on the role. Even though Joshua did not have the same intimacy with God as Moses had, as we saw before, he couldn't do it without God. Part of Moses' training was to teach Joshua how to come into a deeper relationship with God. When Moses died, the work of leading Israel didn't stop. He passed on the baton to Joshua and the next generation continued to the work. So as we see on this slide here, the baton had been passed on. In the readings, God used Moses in a mighty way. Joshua saw what God was doing. So part of it was seeing the miracles and the wonderful things that God has done in Moses' life. And as a mentor to a mentee, we might be able to pass on some of the things that God has done for us. And terribly important for us as older people within the church to be able to pass this on to the younger ones within the church and to explain and to see how God has touched and how God has brought us through different situations. We're in a pandemic at the moment and everyone's struggling. Well, not everyone's struggling, but people are struggling through this time to be able to see the the up from the down and how God is in this. But as older people, we may have been through some different things. Um, there were those in years gone by that may have gone through the wars and been able to pass on how they got through that. But it's very important here that we're able to pass on how we've been able to be blessed by God and some of the mighty things we might have seen God do in our lives as well too and that they too can experience these things. So Joshua would have had a different job uh, when he was leading the people in the promised land. Uh, Moses had the big job of bringing them through the desert, uh, bringing them out of Egypt and finding that the, that um, when they got there to that place where they are about to go to the promised land and his work was over. But Joshua had a more important, or not more important, he had a, a job where, where he was taking them into the promised land and leading them there so that they could settle in the place that God had brought them to. And we see in Joshua, the first couple of chapters of Joshua, that 
he had a, a similar experience than Moses had where God spoke to him and said that this is holy ground. Remember that when Moses was told that this was holy ground, he had to take his sandals off. And Joshua had a similar experience. And God brought him through some similar experiences to Joshua. But Joshua was Joshua, Moses was Moses, and God had a plan for each of them on how they were to lead the people. In Joshua 1, Moses had to step up and lead the people without Moses' help. He was the man and he was the one to do it. Whether he had um, 70 people there, the elders were there and different ones, whether Caleb and his his mates were able to there to help him, those from the younger generation that um, uh, had come through the desert and the ones that God had used, that he was able to bring them to the point of being the leaders of the um, of the Israelite people there. So we can see that the baton had been passed on. So from here we're going to have a look on how it's going to affect or how we can be uh, mentors today at KBC. So the focus on this is intergenerational thing. So we've got the, um, the identity statement we have as our part of our our um, church has said that uh, in our identity statement we're going to the slide will be come up in the second. Our identity statement says, as a church, we are committed to discipling and mentoring as part of our identity statement. So as training, we believe Jesus focused on training his disciples. We intentionally saw specific training in disciplines uh, and skills that enhance the effectiveness of the gifting and calling of God's people. So a prime focus of this development is intergenerational relationships. And as a leadership, we believe the function of leadership is to shepherd, to innovate, visionary and orderly, and to listen and respond with humility. That sounds a little bit familiar to what Moses was doing with Joshua, teaching him these things about humility and to be innovative and visionary and orderly. And to shepherd, he was looking for a shepherd and Joshua became that shepherd. So training for replacement and multiplication will be a priority. And we are committed to the biblical requirements. And these uh, biblical requirements are the ones of what a, a, a deacon or an elder or a leader or a, a pastor is going to be. So they're the ones, that ch- and the church family empowers and supports the or the leadership to do what it is. So as leaders, we need to stand up to be able to do that. So then we have a church profile slide. This church profile is one that we put out, uh, put together, so that when we're looking for a new pastor, it uh, went to all the um, advisory board in Melbourne and also um, went to the different pastors who we were looking at. And one of our things in our church profile said, we want to be discipling young believers from across the age ranges to become disciples themselves and preparing younger people when they're going to university to be secure in their faith. That's a very important thing that uh, our young people, as they grow up within the church, they need to have a, a grounding within that. And uh, part of being a country church, one of the things that happens is that our young people go to university in Melbourne, Bendigo, wherever it might be, and sometimes 
they don't come back. And I think it might be a lot of time they come back because they find employment and find their lives down there. So it's really essential that we disciple them to know Jesus. We disciple them to know who they are and who they are in Christ. So this is an important part of our discipling for our younger people and as they go off to then. And also fostering one-on-one relationships outside the church and then training on how to go about this with a view to be more missional in our community. We have some things that we're going to looking at and how to reach out to our community, but how to foster one-on-one relationships and teaching. There's a lot to be done in this. This is not only discipling, it's also mentoring and how people can go about that. So our next slide says uh, we're going to focus on intergenerational um, relationships and this is one of the bases for mentoring. So today is not just about leadership. We've, we've heard about Joshua being a leadership and uh, we will talk a little bit about leadership in this for those within the church who want to see you become in that role. It's investing in people to equip them for their Christian walk. That's what it's about. Mentoring is investing in people to equip them for their Christian walk. <clears throat> the church I went to in Melbourne uh, was only a small fellowship. Um, we may have had 40, 50 people, but uh, part of that was we had a youth leader who saw that as young people we needed to be brought into roles of maybe leadership a little bit later, but they were given opportunities to be able to do things within the church. <clears throat> we had one-on-one relationships with a couple of the older people. We had two, uh, two ladies who were ex-missionaries. They loved God and they loved us young people and they'd come and spend some time with us and we had that one-on-one relationship with them or, or group relationship with them across the ages. And the leaders of the church looked at us not just as the church that's going to be here tomorrow, but they looked at us as the church that's here today. And all generations are important to the church. They are the church of today. <clears throat> we look and we often say, well, these young people are the church of tomorrow, but no, they're the church of today. They have a part in within the church, as we have in our fellowship today, from the youngest to the oldest, whoever they may be. And part of that role is to be having intergenerational relationships, that's not easy to say, between one another and to be able to encourage the younger ones to come on and it also gets encouragement for the younger people as they they serve the older people. So that's what it's about, what we'll be looking at today in intergenerational intergenerational relationships. I won't say that once more. And that is the basis for mentoring. So we have caring as the first one of ways of building relationships. In John 13, 34 to 35, which is a very familiar verse, it's a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. You are also love one another. By all this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As we care for each other as Christians, we're showing Christ to one another and to the world. People are watching out there how we treat each other. If we start slagging each other off and and having a crack at each other all the time, people from out in the world are going to say, well, if that's Christianity, I don't want a bar of it. By small or large acts of kindness, we can build relationships with each other within the church. Older people can help younger parents in the care of their children. Younger people can provide meals for older people. These are just suggestions. Kids can visit older people and grow relationships. 
don't know if we've ever seen the show um, Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds, where they brought in these four-year-olds to be able to um, interact with the older people and they've got the older people off their, their seats and doing exercise and all sorts of fun. And it's well known that uh, bringing younger people in with the older people into retirement villages and, and um, old people's homes, that, uh, yeah, it's a real boost to them. And it's also a boost to the younger people and these relationships are starting to be built there. You can see the health benefits of reacting between the two ages. And by caring for one another, we're saying that you are valued by God. By caring for our people in with our, our relationship with them in the church, you are valued by God. So the next thing is celebrating. And that's probably one thing we don't do enough within this church here. We do sing happy birthday on occasions. And remember that uh, very often when the someone has a birthday on the, the day at church, we'll sing and then we'll have them saying whoop, whoop and all sorts of different things. And um, we do have an enjoyment there. But uh, do we celebrate other achievements as well within the church? Do we see when maybe someone has an award or someone's done something within the community or done something within the church? Do we celebrate that so that we can build them up? Can we celebrate when someone has done something over and above to help someone out? These are very important. It's not to build our egos up. It's not elevating one person over another. It's recognising that as God's people we have giftings that have been used for him. A lot of stuff does happen in the background, as we know, within the church. But wouldn't it be wonderful to one of those for each of other for who we are? Another way of celebrating is in groups from across the ages getting together, maybe just for the sake of getting together. We don't have to have a different thing to say, well, we're getting together this morning to be able to do craft or we're getting together to do that. Just getting together as a group and just celebrating each other talking with each other, building each other up, loving each other, loving on each other and being there <clears throat> and just enjoying each other's company. Isn't that wonderful just to be able to enjoy each other's company, to be able to sit there and to take in and let it go and just see how it all happens. So build relationships and spending time with each other. And within that, that setting, we could also get together and a bit of one-on-one -on -one mentoring could be going on or someone might be able to stand up and do. These are the things that we possibly need to look at as a church. How are we going to go about building up our different people, building up those that are younger, building up those that are older and really these intergenerational relationships, again, really putting a, a priority on that. So learning together as a small group or one-on-one. -on -one. We do have a few small groups here and there's... Uh, one group who, uh, excuse me, started off as the over, over 50s, but has now grown to be over 60s, 70s and 80s. And this group have been going for many, many years. What great knowledge there is in that group there. What great resources there are in that group there. It'd be great if we were able to meet with each other like that. We need more small groups within the church and that may be a priority as we come as we look for a new pastor, uh, that might be something that this pastor may be able to bring into place, how we can have um, more small groups within the church, being intentional. Learning about God through Bible study and applying it to life's everyday situations. Looking deeper into the Bible and being able to know 
where the scriptures are. Uh, back in the day, there was um, different things at uh, at Boys Brigade, and um, there was another organisation. Can't remember what it was, but they used to have Bible study and teaching and all the young people how to do that sort of thing. Um, being able to see the scriptures, not only in Sunday school, but also on a one-on-one. Small groups are a great way of learning together and building up relationships. We need to have probably more small groups that are intentional in their teaching. Something we're looking at to be able to have all the small groups looking at the same thing, whether it be from the sermon on the Sunday and then getting back to that, or whether it be a series or just being able to know that we're all on the same page. And then, as well as their intention to, to build up each other within that group, but as well as their intention to reach out from their group and progress, present Christ to the community with an intention of seeing people coming to, this, to see Jesus and to be and meet Jesus and to have a relationship with him. And then, once we do that, we can disciple them to disciple each other. And then the next one is praying. How important is prayer? A more mature Christian taking a younger Christian under their wing and praying for them and with them, teaching them to pray, teaching them what it is to be able to tell Jesus what it's all about. We look at the Psalms and we can see some of them Psalms are Psalms of praise. We see other Psalms that ones where they reach out and, well, God, things are not going too well. Help. Help me just being able to work with a young person or an older person to be able to get through to them. Prayer is the engine room of the church and is the centre of every relationship, whether that be family relationships or friends or a mentor to mentee. Without prayer, nothing can be done. We need to be praying as much as we can for one another and for our world. We need to be praying for revival within our churches and our land. By praying with someone, you're giving them a pattern for their lives. We can read books on prayer or we can hear many, many sermons on prayer. But the best way to know about prayer is to pray. The best way to know about prayer is to pray. And then pray expecting answers. And then serving. As Christians, we are called to serve. We all have gifts in different areas in our lives that will build up the body of Christ and to the community. As I said on the slide, all generations are important because they are the church of today. The younger we can instill in the lives of our members about service, the stronger um, uh, in the long run our church will be if these young people and others learn about service. It's a building block for now and for later as we, um, we instill in them that service is something that God wants us to do. As I was saying about this little church that I grew up in in Melbourne, service was one thing that that came into mind. We'd have a go at Sunday morning services. At youth group, we'd uh, do um, different uh, devotions. We had a youth council, which was one set up very much like a diaconate or whatever it might be to be oversee. And service was there. And if you were part of that church, you were expected to be able to give something back to the church, whatever it might be. And it's not only for building up the church, but it's for building up the individual as well too, so that they too may be able to be growing stronger and stronger in you. It's, um, um, we need to give them also a go. Unless they're given an opportunity to try, 
they won't know how to serve within their gifting. We need to be able to show them and give them a chance there. As older Christians, we need to be intentional in passing on our knowledge to the younger ones within the church. And anyone who is in leadership, whether it be the elders, the deacons, or anyone in the leadership, or any of the parts of the church, it's up to you to train those within your group to service. As it said in their, um, our slide, that um, we want to see, be able to pass on and to be intentional about uh, growing the leaders within us and that sort of thing. And you seek, as, and to seek those from within the church to take up your role. So we need to be looking and saying that as a leader of this organisation, leader of this group, like Moses, he finished up his role. But we need to be saying, well, my role is going to finish and you need to be putting yourself out of a job. And it says um, on the slide, training for replacement and multiplication will be a priority. That's one of the priorities we have as a church. So as a leadership, we need to be driving this. And as part of the search for new pastor, it's one part of how we're going to go about this. So today, this only touches on the surface of mentoring. There's a lot can be done, there's a lot need to be done. And as we sort of kick off this today, that may become more intentional in doing this. So there's many programs out there we can do and books you can access. You have a five-year plan for doing this and a six-year plan for doing that and all sorts of different things. But we can make a start by doing it organically. This is the beginning of the journey in this area. But the main thing is that every church member needs to get on board to make it work. Every church member from the youngest to the oldest to make, it, make this work. So an interesting fact or an interesting thing that a point in our church at the moment where most of the ministries are being run by older members. Pardon me. Look at Kids Club, for instance. As, um, most of us are, are 50 plus. We do have... Uh, one young fellow has come along to help and uh, we have uh, our youth uh, generation leader who comes along to help, but the majority of us are there. And we look at the other ministries as well too within the church, um, the elders, deacons and that, that many of them are over 50, looking at 60 as well too. So it's time as a leadership to pass the baton on to those who are younger. They can't take up the baton unless we're willing to let it go. They can't take up the baton unless we train them. We can't take up the baton unless we encourage them to step up. It's up to us as leadership to be able to encourage the younger ones within the church to step up and to instill the service in them and instill the other things in them that it's not just about them, it's not just about the church, but it's about what we can do for Jesus, how the kingdom can be grown. And that's what it is. We need to allow them to take uh, permission to take the church forward. By this, we need to make changes in how to do church in a changing world. The church of a younger person may not look like the church that we're running today. We need to let that go. There may be things that they may be able to innovate so they'll be able to reach out to the community in different ways. In due time, we need to let that go and allow them to do that. So a couple of things we can do now. We can get on board with uh, the community garden. And as Brendan said when he was presenting it, 
that it's not just about if you're a gardener, as someone who can be there for uh, the people who are going to use it, suggesting that maybe the, uh, the mums and that from the um, playgroup might be able to use it, getting the kids from the school. What a great opportunity if you're an older person who's able to just sit there and talk with a mum who might be going struggling through some things. What a great opportunity to be able to get there and to be able to help, not just in gardening but in practical ways and being there for supporting those that are doing the garden as the coffee machine's going and just sitting around one-on-one. -on -one. You might be able to be a prayer warrior for a garden. As we said, prayer is very important. We need to be there praying for this. Encourage those participating in the garden and we can be the ones that are reaching out in the community, inviting people to come into the community and come into the garden and enjoy its uh, time there. As older people, we might be able to talk to the leaders of playgroup and see if it's possible to volunteer as a grandma or grandpa. Know that one of our members here, um, she spent many years coming on a Tuesday morning for playgroup and sitting there and seeing the different ones, the different generations join together. And I'm going to give it a plug. Kids Club is a great ministry from kids to the schools in the area. So not many come to our church here today. Some may not even go to church at all. We would love to have some of the younger members of the church coming along to help us. And finally, as Moses passed on the baton to Joshua, Joshua was equipped as God's man to take the nation of Israel into the promised land. Moses gave up the baton. But one thing, unfortunately, we don't see as we read in the scriptures that Moses didn't pass the baton on to anyone else, whether it was part of the plan or not. But that seemed to stop there and this mentoring role never went on from there on in. So the church at KBC have an opportunity to continue um, the ministry of over 140 years to Kerrang and beyond. So let's take that opportunity to be able to build each other up Let's take that opportunity to be able to take someone by the wing and say, you know, I reckon you'd be able to do something. You know, I reckon you'd be able to spend some time together. I want to build you up. I want to be there for you. I want to show you love and caring and support so that we can see young people and other people come to a deeper relationship with Jesus and that's what it's all about. We'll just pray and then we'll go into our time of communion. Thank you, God, for this um, opportunity to be able to share around your word. Thank you for what you're able to do for us. And, Father, just bless this word, we pray, as we go out. And uh, thank you for this time together. Now, Father, we come around communion and just ask your blessing upon that too. Thank you, Jesus. <coughs> so hopefully you've got your elements at home. I've got one of these wonderful little packs here, the... Uh, Ones we have, the disposable packs. Just hang on a sec. Excuse me. A time of communion. A time of coming together in unity one with another as we, we celebrate and we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. So just a short reading from 1 John. And it's uh, 1 John... Chapter 1 and verses 5 to 9. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, 
we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he in the light, we have fellowship with one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So this is talking about unity one with another. If we're in the light, we can have fellowship with one another. And it's through the blood of Jesus, his son, who purifies us from sin. So in John 8, 12, it said that Jesus is the light of the world. And our ability to walk in the light comes through Jesus' blood, which purifies us. Through this purification, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus provides us, uh, does purify us from all sin. As he is in the light, we are in the light. And as it says in John 1, 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We know that Jesus has died for our sins. We know that he took our sin on the cross. We know that at that point he was separated from his father when he did that, that God could not look on sin. We see in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus sweat drops of blood when he said, if pass this cup may pass from me, that you may be your done, but Father, your will, not mine. At that time, the recognition of the taking sin and the Holy Son of God didn't know what sin was. He wasn't able to do because he was the Holy Son of God. But he was willing to take it for you and for me. And as we celebrate this morning, or come and remember this morning what Jesus did by dying on the cross to take that sin for us so that we can have fellowship one with another and fellowship with him. And if we do confess that sin, he's faithful and just, forgive us of that sin. So if we take the bread and we have that, we'll just pray and then we'll take the bread and then we'll have the, the cup after that. So if you've got your elements ready, We'll just pray. Thank you, Father, for your broken body, for the broken body of your son. Father, as we um, take the bread this morning, as a remembrance of that, we do thank you, Jesus, for going to uh, the cross and the pain that you suffered there, but the pain of, um, of sin being heaped upon you for our sin. Father, we thank you that Jesus was able to do for us. And if we take this bread, we remember that. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just have the bread? And after supper on the night when he was betrayed, he took the cup and said, this is the blood of my of the, of, um, the covenant, the new covenant that I have in you. The new covenant we can have that came and Jesus came at that time to be able to um, finish what was done 
on the cross of the Old Covenant. He was able to fulfill what was written in the Old Testament. And as we take the cup, we remember that, that we'll just ask now, that we'll pray and ask God's blessing upon the cup. Thank you, Father, for the blood that was shed for us. Thank you that it's cleansing blood. Thank you that you um, were willing to give Jesus and thank you for the blood that he shed so that we can be cleansed of you and that we're purified in him. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. Let's all drink together. Thank you, God, for the time we're able to come around your word. Thank you, God, for the time we're able to come in communion. Just ask that you'll just be with us and may you go with us as we go into this week. And, Father, you know what's going to happen. Father, we may trust in you and you just lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I thank you this morning again, and that's the end of our service this morning. May you have a good week and uh, hopefully... We'll be able to see each other next week.